An expert is simply a person who has learned from a large collection of experiences. So today we're going to share some of our own experiences in our top 10 things we wish we knew when we were first home buyers so that you can avoid making rookie mistakes. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to move it along and become homeowners. But most importantly, it is for you to become an educated home buyer. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mum. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 45 years experience to share with you and bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information you can rely on. Allow us to guide you on your home buying journey. We want you to become an educated home buyer so that you can stop looking for your first home and actually become a proud homeowner. We've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. And there you'll get access to our free mini course, How to Price a Property Like a Professional. You will also find the holy grail of home buying education, Your First Home Buyer Guide, the online course for people who want to become educated home buyers. We created this for you to help you get on the right path to home ownership for your first home and beyond. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, we've got the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field who takes the time to understand your personal situation. We've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording. Things change rapidly, so always check with the relevant government authority and your trusted advisors to get the most up-to-date information. talking about our top 10 things we wish we knew as first home buyers. Now, we did do a top six back in 2021. So, this is an update. We've added a few since then. <laughs> Before we get into that, though, there is a special house behind you, Megan, this week. It looks a bit ugly to me, but anyway, do tell. <laughs> I couldn't find a picture. So, I bought my first house in 1998, didn't have a digital camera and I can't find the photo album. I did a, you know, a progress of bought the house, all the different things, all that sort of stuff. I can't find the photo album. Now I moved six months ago into my house and there are still some boxes that haven't been unpacked. So obviously my house is somewhere in those boxes. This is so similar um, in terms of what my house looked like when I bought it. So it was a worker's cottage, central hallway, um, and I have purposely put the house on an angle because my house was on an angle when I bought it. <laughs> it was falling off some stumps. Leaning. <laughs> it was like that. Oh, dear. I sneezed. It could have fallen off. <laughs> and you were here to tell the story. <laughs> I that am. It somehow, somehow stayed, stayed upright. So, okay. <laughs> so, we are going to go through um, some of Megan's lessons, some of my lessons, because my first property was very, very different. Yep. We're not going to totally repeat everything that we did back in episode 41, which was our six things we wish we knew. We're building on them. Pardon the we pun. We are. So, shall we run through them? Do we start with number one or number 10? Let's just start with number one. Oh, number they're one. in no particular order. <laughs> really, they're not. They're, it's a brain dump, like a lot of these things are. You know, it's not like the course that's in order. No. This is, this is a brain dump very specific. Fun and education. Yes. And I guess that's the thing, Veronica. What I didn't know when I was a first home buyer was what the process was. Like I really did not have any idea what to do and in what order. You know, I only had my parents really to to be guiding me and they'd only bought two properties in their life. 
most of which were in New South Wales and I was buying in Queensland. So, you know, colleagues, people that I was working with, and I was in professional services at that time. So there was some pretty switched on people in there. Um, But I really relied heavily on the agents that I was talking to, to tell me what to do. And it's such a big lesson for me to, to impart to other people is to learn what the process is before you need deep in it. Yeah. So I agree. Number one lesson, I even though I bought a completely different type of property to what you bought mm. for my first property, you bought a house. And you were in New South Wales. I was in Queensland. So yeah, you're in, Queen, you're in Brisbane. I was in Sydney. I also bought a studio apartment. So that's not the thing I'm going to talk about right this minute. I'm going to talk about the process though because the process was exactly my problem. I had to rely on the agent because nobody I knew knew anything about buying property and I made an offer and and then it was like, okay, don't really know what to do next. <laughs> the agent referred me to a conveyancer. The agent ran me to say, um, you got to do something to actually take it off the market. <laughs> it's all well and good to make an offer. But now what? I'm like, I don't know. What do I do? So, yes, the process. The, the absolute one thing I wish I'd known <laughs> Yeah, it was lucky it didn't wasn't a problem. But you can see so many situations these days where it's a lot harder to buy property. I think now than it was back then. Where if you don't know the process, you can miss out. You can get shot. And you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's the thing, Veronica. It's not until you have aha moments. And we we often ask our students, you know, what was your aha moment in the process? And and it's often the things that they had. No idea that they didn't know about, but was so incredibly valuable and important once they learned and made things go a lot, lot more smoothly. Ah, yes. So it leads on to the, the next um, thing that I wish I'd known as a first home buyer, and that was how to find the right guides, the right people to help me on that journey, because everybody thinks they're an expert in property. Mm-hmm. You buy one, you think you know it all. You live in one, you think you know it all. And it. <laughs> It's interesting too because, you know, of course, if anyone knows, listens to us, they know that we're both buyers agents. So in our businesses, we help people buy a property. And even the buyers agency business, it's very much around this idea of, oh, look, we'll engage a buyers agent if we have to because the market's really tough or I'm not living in the same state or something like that. Generally speaking, Australians have a real challenge with this idea of not actually admitting they don't know everything about buying yeah. a property and yeah. everywhere I go I am a property expert Megan I know that sounds a bit weird I've been doing it for 24 years actually professionally not just because buying my own selling my own properties doing it professionally and yet I'll go to a barbecue and I will get lots of people tell me tell you how to invest in property or how to buy a property and you just <laughs> go you got to be joking I, I would never go to a heart surgeon and tell them how to fix a heart. Like I just wouldn't. I would know that I didn't know, but people think they know about property even though they don't know. So that's the danger. And that's where it makes it so hard to find the right people to take advice and guidance from. It it is. And I think the other thing now, I mean, you and I bought our first homes before the internet was really full of all the valuable information it's full of now. But now there's so much information freely available online. But the vast majority of that information is actually selling you something else. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know whether it's whether it's a mortgage really well-meaning mortgage broker who is giving you a guide on how to buy your first home, possibly 90% of that guide is going to be about the finance side of things. Now that's 
probably really reliable, valuable information on but the it's finance not side of teach you how to identify, assess, evaluate, negotiate, and the process uh, of that side of things. Yep. So, um, as someone who perhaps uh, provides um, guidance or guides on house and land packages has an ulterior motive, and that is for you to buy a house and land package. So, finding the right guides that really only have the you know, and it's one of the reasons that we downloaded our brains to create this course is there's nothing at the end of it except the knowledge. Yeah. Like there's nothing else to buy apart from the course to learn how to do it. Um, and I think that's a really important thing when you're looking at how do you gather your information and find your right guide is what is the ulterior motive or what is the thing that they're trying to sell me at the end of this? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I find is interesting because you, you can find a lot of free courses on how to buy property. Yeah. There's them out there. Yeah. Um, and we've done an episode on what's the problem with free courses and, and I'll sum it up in, um, I don't know, one sentence. And that is most of the free courses, as you mentioned there, are put out by people who are trying to sell something else. And yeah. a lot of them are put out by banks and brokers mm-hmm. and comparison sites and things like that, and which are all trying to sell you something else. And nearly all of them have seven steps. The first five are all about the finance. Step six is go out and find a property. Find a property. Right, literally, that's it. <laughs> go out and find a property. And step seven is make an offer. And you go, oh. It is the got- formula. <laughs> Those two steps, um, what have we got that cover that? We've got like nine steps oh, out of yeah, our 10 nine to cover, or eight steps yeah. out of our 10 cover just those two steps. So if you don't know how to do that, that's the bit where everything or the wheels fall off. So mm. so finding the right guys is absolutely critical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it leads into the third thing that we wish we knew when we were first home buyers, which is what to look for in oh, a property. Oh, yeah. You know, I was excited on that advice by the worst house in the best street and those who are watching the video can see that I did in fact buy a terrible house. Now I was incredibly lucky that I made some good accidental decisions on that first property. I didn't know what I didn't know so therefore it was an accident that I actually bought in an elevated part of the street because I kind of like the outlook. Um, (laughs) But realistically what I was looking for was a house that I could afford that I could renovate. That was really my criteria. <laughs> so worst house, best street. It doesn't always add up to the right option though. And and what I've learned since then, and, and, and we are just so, you and I, within our buyers agency businesses, but also when, it, when we're coaching and mentoring our students in Campfire, it's not just about the street. It's about the position in the street, the orientation, the layout, the room the side sizes. of the street. The flow, the side of the street, what's next door to you. We were, we were um, doing a, an assessment of two properties in Campfire for a student the other, the other week. And one of them was a, a very you know, nice house and, and uh, north-facing rear, a number of other things, lots of attributes we went through on that particular house. The other one was a lot cheaper, a lot cheaper, but it and had this massive block of units next door on the northern side in Victoria. Yeah. Not only that, but the other one, the one next to the block of units, it was a random weird block of units just out of the middle of nowhere, really, because Brr. the street was actually a really beautiful street, yeah. except for that block of units. That, yeah, and yeah. also the proximity to um, the town and everything, like it was actually technically a better street than the other properties. 
Yeah, but you're right. It this was. particular house in that street, it was definitely the worst house, but it was always going to be a dog. Yeah. Always going to be an underperformer Couldn't that house it. because of the blocker units next door. So that's worst house, best street would have been a terrible decision for them. You know, what to look for in a property is so important. I, you know, mentioned earlier, I bought a studio apartment and I bought it in Sydney and I looked for the cheapest property. There were other more expensive ones I probably could have afforded to buy, but I didn't even look at that. I just looked at, oh, that's cheap. That feels safe. So I didn't even look beyond the price. Mm-hmm. So talk about what to look for in a property. Uh, you know, I was just lucky. I made money on that too. Total, utter luck. Yeah. Because now what I know and what you know in, in our businesses yeah. is that the choice of a property in any given suburb makes an enormous difference to your financial future and whether or not you can actually move on up the property ladder. So yeah. what to look for in a property, absolutely. You and I both had a lot of luck, but hey, imagine if we'd actually known more, like we could have made, I definitely could have made a way better decision first up. And I think that's a really good point because I could have made a better decision too um, Mm. if I'd known what I know now. And that's the value of experience. You know, we're just a collection of experiences. So we know when we look historically at resales of things that whilst you can at least say, look, I didn't lose money with that studio apartment, what you'll never know unless you actually sit down and do do the exercise. Which I have done. Well, the opportunity cost. I know cost what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm what else I could have else. bought yeah. and what that could have done for me versus what I did buy and what that did for me. And Let's I, make that. You're fine. You've, you've, you've learnt your lessons. I've, I've done fine <laughs> over my life in terms of property. However, I did sit down. I think I sat down and calculated. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I calculated... And I worked out I could probably be $2 million better off today because, of course, I have been at this nearly 30 years, yeah. right? But today I could probably be $2 million better off in terms of equity than I am if I'd made better decisions along the way. So, right at the start, yeah. And then maybe we're jumping ahead in terms of the 10 things we wish we knew, but that all starts with the first property you buy. You buy that well and then you continue to make good decisions you, your financial future is going to be so much rosier. So that's definitely number three, knowing what to look for in a property. Yeah, and then it's working out what to pay. Um, and this is number four on our top ten in no particular order of <laughs> things we wish we knew when we were first home buyers. Working out what to pay. You know, in my situation, the asking price was one hundred and forty-five thousand dollars. Ah, look, so I offered one hundred and forty-one thousand dollars. You just no knock a few basis. grand off, don't you? No basis. <laughs> <laughs> It just, it could have been worth $130,000 for all I knew. Yep. And this is the problem and it happens both ways. So if you're in a location where there's a price guide, certainly you don't get that in Queensland, but in, in other states, certainly in New South Wales and Victoria, you can often get a price guide rather than an asking price. Yeah. And so the agent will give a guide and, and buyers just think, oh, it's got to add 10%. No, no. That I, I get the logic or knock you off ten percent, or some people still have that mentality. Yeah. yeah, the asking price. Yeah. Oh, I must knock off some money, and yeah. it's like you might, but you've got to actually understand how to work out what a property is worth before you make an offer. Not not use the anchoring of the agent's guide or yeah. the asking price. That that is absolute. It's a one hundred and one. But we've which I made that mistake. Yeah. And, and course, it was only when I went into real estate sales that I actually found out about what's called comparables or yeah. comparable sales methodology. 
And it was a real eye-opener to learn that there is a way, a methodical way that you can work out what something's worth in what the current market. the fair market value is. And so yeah. that's what we have a free course that t- teaches you how to do that. Literally, you go to homebuyeracademy sl- forward slash free course and you can download a free mini course that will teach you the process that we use in our businesses. It's a, it's a simplified process, but it's the it- same process. And you too can learn how to work out what price to pay. And then so, you don't have to look at the agent's guide. You don't have to do yeah. what we did. <laughs> or knock off 10% or add 10%. <laughs> You you, right. you can do that independently. Yeah, it's that's hugely, say, just because valuable. you work out what it's worth worth doesn't mean that's what the seller's prepared to sell it for. So they're two very independent things. Absolutely, but knowledge is power, and also knowledge is huge power. Also, yeah. not only not only will they not maybe not sell it for that, but sometimes depending on what's happened in the campaign, you might be able to get it for less. Or what yeah. the market's doing, you might be able to get it for less. And so that you know, understanding how to interpret. That information is what we teach you in your first home buyer guide. So, you know, there is a lot more to it, but at least if you're doing the free course, you're going to learn that process. And we, neither of us knew that when we were first home buyers. (laughs) No, we did not. Now, going on to to number five um, in our top 10 is I wish I'd known what not to do with a renovation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a big one. I saw one. the vision. I could see yeah. what it could be. You know, there was houses all around that had been renovated and I was thinking colour schemes and kitchens and bathrooms and, you know, all of those pretty things. But what I tried to do was a full house raise and build in underneath without a licensed builder. Now, yeah. that is, That's that a is an absolute no-no. This is, this is a gigantic. Gigantic mistake, and yep. you know, it it requires I didn't know the steps. it requires a whole level of um, what's called uh, like a um, what is the term Where are you when, going? You, <laughs> when you have no idea how much you don't know? It's Absolutely. just like completely utter ignorance. You know, like I and was, I, I was really ambitious. I say that ambitious <laughs> or ignorant. I say that with the greatest respect. It's like, you know, Phil's rush in where, where angels fear to shred. That was that type of thing. It's like that was it. yep. gung-ho. That was me. All that right. was me at 23. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. And, you know, look, I, I also renovated a property, um, Not obviously not my studio apartment. I didn't bother with that one, but I renovated a property some years later and there were there was some ridiculous assumptions that I made as well. I, I did use the license builder. I did get plans approved through council. Well done, you. So I did that all in the right order. But I still had some ridiculous ideas really? before I engaged the architect to find out that my harebrained schemes had no basis in reality. So, I mean, <laughs> I think what not to do with a renovator is a really important thing that I wish I'd known then. That wasn't even as a first homeowner um, because – too often people will go out there and think, okay, it's really difficult to buy and in, get into the market. Uh, it's really yeah. hard. It's expensive. So the best way is to buy the cheapest possible house you can buy and then renovate it. And not all properties are renovable. Renovable Is that even a word? Able Renov- to be renovated. renovated. Not all deserve to be renovated. Yeah, yeah. And not all can be renovated within, within your scope and your budget. So understanding yeah. all of those things, yeah, I would have um, – Possibly made some different decisions, and maybe you would too. By the sounds of it, absolutely. And I and I think you know, having narrow thinking about the big picture, I spent money in the wrong places along the way. So I spent mm. money doing something that then had to be undone. 
because I didn't have a master plan. And, and in episode 48, we talked to Rebecca Morgan um, about having a master plan yeah. and the, you know some of the do's and don'ts about renovating. So if that's on your agenda, by all means, go back and review that episode because there was lots and lots of great tips in there. Um, and, and I think the other thing, you know, we talk about one of our Home Buyer Academy property principles is that capital growth matters. So when you're looking at a renovation, you, you, it's really important to not just think about it for yourself, but think about, am I spending the money in the right place to get the best value back and capital growth back that I can? Because if you're, we looked at a house for a, um, a client in our buyer's agency business, she's a single lady. And this house only had one bedroom. It was a house, a full-size house yep. on a block of land. Wow. But it only had one bedroom. Now, that that property in what is a, a quite a strong market in Brisbane, it just didn't have a buyer pool except mm. for this one lady. Yep. So, it had a really, really narrow – it didn't have – it had scarcity, but it didn't have attractiveness for owner-occupiers mm. except for a very, very small market. So, you've got to be really careful – with renovations that you are thinking about your future buyer when you're doing Absolutely. all your planning. And I would think to myself that if she can afford to renovate at some point, that's a great opportunity um, in that particular case. But there's some cases where I've seen where the house will never be any bigger. Yeah, You can think you can do all these things to it all you like, but it's never going to happen. So I think understanding the, the limitations of the property, but also limitations of you and your budget, very, very important. And number six, the sixth thing we wish we knew uh-huh. when we were first home buyers. Who are the agents really working for? <laughs> so I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> I, and I it might it. sound it might sound completely innocent, but I was. And agents can be really friendly and really helpful, but I didn't know that their fiduciary obligation was to the seller, who is their client, and their obligation. And role as the agent to that seller is to obtain the highest sale price. Now, I didn't really, at the heart of it, understand that. I just willingly went with the people who are friendly and helping me. Yep. And it's a common mistake for first home buyers. And also, they're really willing, helpful, friendly agents can often sell you a dud because, you know, what That's happens what got to is- sell. We buy from the people that we like yeah. and the agent who you don't like might be selling a better property and, but you go, I don't want to buy from them. I don't want to reward them with my business or with the commission or whatever. I want to go buy from that person because they're really nice and, but they selling a dud. And so you've really got to remember that, that uh, at the end of the day, that person, that agent, the really nice friendly agent selling you the dud, you know, they're working for the owner of that dud that wants to get rid of that dud and you do not want to become the new owner of that dud. doesn't matter how nice the agent is, they're really yeah. working for the owner, not and for And that, you. of course, is Home Bar Academy property principle number one. The agent's working for the seller, not for the buyer. I wish I'd known that as a first-home buyer. Um, and, and not because I wanted to have a difficult relationship with the people and, and that's not at all what we do in, in our buyer's agency world. We, we, we have very positive relationships. Mm. We just understand who is working for who and then start to read between the lines of the information that's provided so that you've always got your radar on to say, okay, well, is that benefiting me or is that benefiting them? Yep. And if it's not benefiting me, I need to find out more. Absolutely. 
And I think too, the other thing that you that a lot of buyers expect is that the agents are going to tell them things they need to know before buying that property. Mm. Now, in every state of this country, some more so than others, the concept of caveat emptor or buy beware applies. And that means fundamentally, it doesn't matter where you buy, even if the agent gives you some information, it isn't necessarily all of the information that you need in order to make a good decision. And they're not obliged to. There's only certain things that they're obliged to tell you, and that will differ state by state. So if you really want to understand um, you know, what it is that the agent is giving you versus what else you might need to know because you're remembering that they're only doing what they have to do. They're only mm. going to tell you what they need to tell you because they're not working for you, right? So you need to take responsibility for that and go out there and learn what it is that you need to know. And that's what we do teach you in your first home buyer guide is how to fill in the gaps because the agent is not to be relied upon when you're making your decisions. Absolutely. Now, uh, head back to episode 67, dealing with real estate agents. There's some great tips and ideas in that episode. So, number seven on our list, Veronica, is that I wish that I'd known when I was a first home buyer is how to structure things so that from a finance and an entity point of view, so that I'm setting myself up to be ready to buy the next one, whether that's to add an investment property or because I was on a stepping stone strategy. I had no idea about these (laughs) things. I went to the bank that my parents banked with and I got a loan. That was the simplicity of lending strategy for me as a first home buyer. There is so much more to think about. There's a huge amount to think about. and, And to give you just a couple of little tidbits of the sorts of things we're talking about here, is that, you know, when I bought my first property, for example, um, it was less than 50 square metres, right? The bank rules changed, which meant that when I did buy a house, I could have afforded to keep it, right? Whether it was a right, good idea or not, doesn't matter. I could have afforded to keep it because the rent actually was paying for the mortgage. But because it was lower than, uh, it's smaller than a size that banks were prepared to lend on, they required more equity for me to be able to keep it. And I didn't have that. So, therefore, I was forced to sell a property that was actually paying for itself. Now, hindsight, wasn't a great asset. It was good to get rid of it. Um, But at the time, I felt very trapped. I felt like I was trapped into doing something. Now, if I had known about this rule, right, if if I'd had a good advice from a broker back then, which I didn't, um, if I'd known about that rule, I could have potentially bought a bigger apartment. I could have afforded a bigger apartment. And if I'd known about that, that that would have forced me to sell as opposed to me choosing to sell, you know. So it's getting that sort of advice and structuring and understanding the types of properties you might be able to hold on to versus those you can't. But also there's um, another property some years down the track where instead of having offset account, and we're not giving finance advice because we're not yeah. finance people, but if I'd had good advice from a broker at the time, I could have had money set up in an offset account and I could have been making my extra repayments in there. Instead, I was paying them off the loan. So when it came time to upgrade, I wasn't able to write. I could have used the offset account as a deposit for the next property, but I had to go and get a deposit bond, which is a lot harder and not everybody likes them to use as a deposit. So it's just that sort of flexibility and understanding where I was cutting myself off versus where I could have given myself more options. Um, when you've got good borrowing strategy, as you know, we're going to talk about in a minute about an episode you can go back to and listen to where we're talking to broker David Johnson about this. 
Um, when you've got someone that's helping you strategically, you structure things that give you more flexibility and more options down the track. Yeah. And uh, actually, just following on from that one, it's great um, insight into the questions to ask around offset versus, you know, increased repayments. So many questions to ask a good broker about those types of things. But also if you're potentially looking at your first property being, I don't know, live in it for 12 months and then it's going to be an investment property. How you set that loan up and the names and percentages of ownership would potentially be very different when that property need to be very different if that property is going to serve as a long-term investment property. Such big, important questions to ask a broker and to think about that long-term what are we going to do with this property? How long will we live in it? Will we keep it as an investment property? Um, and 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 setting that up properly will, with the right borrowing strategy and good input from an accountant, um, will have that long term strategy much more effect, make it much more effective for for you. Hundred percent. Now, with that, you can go back to episode nine. So True. right at the very beginning, that's when we discussed borrowing strategy. Uh, and structuring with um, broker David Johnson. But also, if you want access to brokers that we would recommend for first-time buyers, those that actually will work with you and and set yeah. up a long-term relationship and will help you buy with a long lens so you do have the, these things covered off at the outset so you've got more options down the track, then check out our website. We've got um, our page of recommended brokers. It's homebuyeracademy.com.au forward slash brokers. But brokers with an S on the end. <laughs> All right, we're up to number eight. Number eight woo, of our top 10 things we wish we'd known as first-time buyers, and that is, I wish I'd known how much extra money I would need for the other costs. Money. The other costs. And no concept of some of the things that I needed to do because I didn't understand the process, and therefore I didn't know when to have a building and pest inspection and how much the solicitor was going to be and when they needed to be paid. Stamp and duty. Stamp duty. There, you know, there were um, homeowner concessions back there, but not first home buyer concessions. Um, also, so paying a proportion of the rates. Yeah. So, like, you yeah, know, that's something that, that I was like, a big, big shock, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean I've got to pay some rates like a day one, you know, yeah. and it's because the owners, the last time they paid rates, they paid for three months and and if you're buying it after two months, then you have to give them a month back of rates. Yes. You have to refund them to for reimburse them. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. Like, yeah, you get caught out very easily. You, th- you think you've accounted everything to the last cent, but if you haven't got good understanding around those additional costs, you can be caught out. Absolutely. And you need this money to be able to you know, get to the point of actually settling the property. Every cent. Every cent. And then from day one, you've got to know when is my first repayment coming out. Make sure that money's there ready to go. What are the, the extra costs the bank might have? If you if you are going for, for a package that has an offset account, there might be an annual fee associated with yep. that package. Again, must know, must have the money available. So there's lots of things. And and we did an episode, um, number 87, uh, an episode called Nobody Told Us. <laughs> do you remember that one, Veronica? Yeah. We do We do like to do episodes which, um, uh, based on media stories, to say, yeah. well, actually, you can say nobody told you, however, all this stuff was discoverable. 
and you really should have known. And and so that's a good example of that. So go back to 87 and have a listen to that episode. But we definitely, we're all about having educated home buyers and creating educated home buyers, which is why we do what we do. Because at the end of the day, nobody told us is not an excuse, yeah. right? Yeah. We've got all the information for you to work all this sort of stuff out on in your first home buyer guide. Or go and find it out the hard way. But at the end of the day, there's no excuse for nobody told us because it is buy beware. You have to take responsibility. Yep. You you are in control and you cannot expect the agent, the solicitor, the broker to tell you when they don't know what your situation, your questions are. So you, you've really got to get all of that lined up really well. Yep. Now, the last two in our top 10 things we wish we'd known as first home buyers, a little bit unique to each of us in our, our first homes that we purchased. And and for me, it was thinking too long term, right? So that first property Believe that it I or not, bought, possible. <laughs> it is possible. So we do talk about having a long term view of property, but I was thinking back then when I was single, didn't even have a boyfriend. <laughs> I was thinking I had to have a house that would be good enough for when I got married, when I had kids. How you know was a yard big enough for a dog and a pool? I was thinking about this life, which was good to think about my next life life phases. But the fact was, I was working in corporate consulting in a job that was going to have me moving around. So I actually had to sell the house in two years due to a job transfer. And I couldn't at that time afford to keep that and pay the rent in Melbourne when I was down there. So I'd bought, I'd had this, these ideas about this property that were too long term. Yeah. Another um, example of too long term is when people say, right, well, I've got to buy it. Um, I'm going to buy it now and then I'm going to keep it because in 30 years' time I'm going to retire into it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I've yeah. heard people say this. They go, so I'm going to buy an apartment now yeah. and, then I, and then I'm going to buy a house when I can afford a house and then that's good because when the kids grow up and they, and they go to university, then I'm going to sell the house and I'm going to move into this apartment. And I'm like, you might not want to live there anymore you know exactly you might, and like, you know what one of the biggest things is that changes that one one is divorce but the other is when grandchildren come along often the grandparents gravitate to where the grandchildren are living i see it time and time again yeah, yeah. so where they think they're going to retire actually you know they love their life their hearts are with where their children and grandchildren are. So it can tip that strategy <laughs> upside down. So they're thinking their 30-year-old their, their year mindset, not yeah. their 60-year-old mindset. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that is, and that is too long-term. You know, I've, I've heard people come to me with, with briefs on, on investment properties that have to, oh, and then when the kids go to uni, they can live in it. And yes, no, 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 no. It's got a job to do. It's got a job yes. to do financially for your long-term, but in terms of as a property for you to live in, it's got a job for the medium term. And so, yes, yeah, so that's a great one, number nine. And number 10, I'm going to claim, of course, which is thinking too short-term, which is <laughs> my problem because I lived in my – studio apartment not even a one-bedroom apartment for 12 months yep. before partnering up and then moving out and renting it all over again so i rented it out for a while but like i, I grew it in five seconds yeah. i grew it before i moved into it yeah. in fact i remember one of my friends coming over you know i was very proud bought my first property and he said to show me around or i just said stand in the corner and swivel your head you <laughs> literally could see everything from one corner and and it was like oh <laughs> you know look it did his job for me, but that was luck more than good good management. Yeah. I didn't think about what would happen if I partnered, 
you know, and, and so, you know, you're thinking way too long term. You, you've yep. got kids and everything, the whole bit. I've got nothing. <laughs> so this is, and and so that is something that I know a lot of first home buyers do make a mistake. Yeah. They just think, I'll just get somewhere and then I'm saving money on rent. And, and you've got to pull back a little bit and approach property with a long-term view 100%. And a big part of that long-term view is about the, always thinking about your future buyer as well. We've mentioned that, sort of touched on that all the way through. But when you are thinking too short term, you're not you're not thinking about any of that stuff. You're right? thinking, what do I need? That's it. And that this will do. This will do now. This will do for me now. This this will relieve my pain now. Whereas in reality, what you're wanting to something is it. This is an asset. This is an opportunity to actually help set yourself up financially in life. And so by thinking too short term, you're sort of precluding all of that stuff. You know, you, all you're thinking about is relieving your current pain point, you know, yeah. and we we, we want to make sure that once that, that pain is subsided, you don't sit and do what I did, which is like, geez, this is a bit small, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, wouldn't want to have too many people over for a dinner party. Across the hall, it was a much bigger one bedroom. Even if I just bought a one bedroom, across the hall, there was a much bigger one bedroom that I could have bought that was probably within budget. What was I thinking? Uh. You don't want to have that thought. <laughs> you do not want to have that thought. And, and knowledge is power. You know, we say it over and over and over again. You don't know what you don't know. Now, just a quick note. Um, we've talked about only 10 of the things that we wish we knew when we were first home buyers. We've got so much more to share because we are a collection of experiences, over 45 years collection of experiences, over, I don't know, I think what have we done? About 2,000 clients between us Ooh, that we, yeah. we've purchased for. So you might think that we cover everything you need to know on this podcast, but you know, a word of warning, we don't. We just scratch the surface here. If you really want to be an educated first home buyer, you need to learn all of the steps and how to do everything in the right order. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Now, our first home buyer guide course, it only costs $990 and you get direct access to us to help guide you through your negotiations. Trust me, You'll overpay by a lot more than $1,000 if you don't know what you're doing. And as we were talking through the 10 things today, Megan, I was thinking about today's campfire when we were talking through uh, one of our students. And yeah. the the, she was looking at the best house, wor the sorry, the worst house, best street. And you know what? In five years' time, 10 years' time, she will thank us that she did not buy the worst house, best street. Do you remember when, when she brought that to us in campfire, I think it was two weeks ago, mm. Um, she said, this is the one we love. Mm. This is the one that we walked in and went, oh, we love this. So what she was doing is putting blinkers on to the mm. things that were wrong with it because she had emotional response once she was inside the house. And so we, she we was literally made her walk out in her own mind and look at the front of the house and go, yeah. can you drive home to that house every day? She was ignoring the re emotional response to the ugly block of units next yeah. door. <laughs> oh, it's all right. When you're inside, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's precisely the sort of property that she would have sat in and went, what did we do? Yeah. What did we do? Why did we buy this? So we've, we've helped save her by talking her through what the other options were. And so they will be a hell of a lot better off. So we do that every single week. We have students come to us on Campfire. They bring us examples of their choices and things that they're looking at. And we help guide them. So in the long term, they will be so much better off and save a hell of a lot more than 990 bucks than it costs to buy the course. 
In this episode, we've only touched on a tiny part of the huge amount of things you need to know to become an educated first home buyer. There is so much more for you to do. You can learn all of the steps in the right order and avoid all of the mistakes that others have made in our 10-step online course for first home buyers. If you'd like to learn more about the right process and avoid making rookie errors, become an educated home buyer. Head over to the website, check out your first home buyer guide, the course that we have created for you. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you've liked what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. It helps other people find us. And of course, I know it's a bit cringy, but we're going to ask for five stars. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with more priceless stuff.